So this morning, I'm going to be speaking about work. Not any old work, like your day job, what you do in your 9 to 5. Although I find very few people in Cape Town actually work from 9 until 5. And that's why we love it here, isn't it? If you go down to the beach on a beautiful day, it could be Tuesday at 10 a.m., packed. But you know what I'm saying when I say 9 to 5. In Cape Townian understanding of the, of the phrase 9 to 5, uh, flexi hours. Um, but we spend most of our days at our job. And so it's really helpful, I think, to know what is it that God has called us to in the workplace. And as, as a church, and I think as Christ followers, we have it in us that the purpose that we live for is building God's kingdom. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything that you need will be provided for you. Jesus himself sought the kingdom of God first, and that's what he lived for. But, and we know that, and we know that Jesus called us to make disciples and to teach all people to obey him, and that these are like our... Our mission statements for our personal lives. We know that kingdom building is what we're called to. But then the natural question that follows on from that is, okay, so then, and then this is the question that I'm wanting to pose this morning. If kingdom building is what we are called to, is my day job going to distract me or take away my opportunity to do that? In other words, is my day job a waste of time? Is it that the more time I spend at my day job, the less time I actually spend building God's kingdom? How do the two go together? Does that make sense? Is that a good question to ask? I think this potential, this message this morning has the potential to shape your thinking in huge ways, especially if you are starting your career and you're making big decisions about where you want to go with your life. What kind of job do I want to choose? I got the attention of all the students now. They are like on the edge of their chairs. And so... Um, I'm going to start with Adam and Eve and work our way to Jesus. Um, When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, God gave Adam a job to do. He was to steward the garden. He was a gardener. He was the first garden boy. And his job was to steward creation. And when God created Eve, it was to be a helper for Adam to fulfill the job God gave to Adam. So they both had the job of stewarding the garden. And it seems, if you read the story, as if it was a very pleasant job. It didn't seem burdensome. It didn't seem like when Adam woke up in the morning that he dreaded going to work and doing what God called him to do because he was living in paradise. He was living with his wife. There was perfect communion with his wife and with God. And it seemed like a fruitful, rewarding thing for Adam to do. And I think that's the original intent that God had for my day job and your day job, is that it would be something which would be an expression of who I am. It would be a rewarding thing. I'd be able to use my skills and my creativity and my gifts to do something meaningful in the world. And, and I think, like I was saying, the job of the moon is to reflect the sun. God himself works. The Bible says that he even rested from his work on the seventh day. God made us in his image We have work because God has work. We work because he works. God himself is creative. 
He's an administrative. He's, he has gifts of administration. He, he organizes things. He nurtures things. These are all things that we do in the workplace. And so we reflect his nature in the sense of what we do when we're working reflects what he does. It's, it's a part of being made in the image of God. And so from the Old Testament, we learn that as a general principle, the, the work is good. And if you've ever been unemployed for a long period of time, you'll have experienced this fact that it's horrible. It's horrible to be unemployed. Your life feels, you feel depressed, you feel like your life lacks purpose, it lacks routine, it, and my life is not being fruitful, I'm not contributing to anything. And it's because you're experiencing the lack of something good which God has made you to do. It makes sense? Unemployment is... Is a very discouraging, demoralizing thing because work is a good thing. And so that's a general principle that we take from the Old Testament. The problem with most many Christians' understanding of work is that it stops with the Old Testament. So we're not going to stop there. We're going to go into the New Testament. Because I'm going to throw you a curveball now. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29, Paul says a number of things about marriage and about work which seem to contradict what we've just said now from the Old Testament. You got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Not so that they can go surfing and pretend like they're still single again, but because there's work to do in the kingdom. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. goes on to say, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. So this is quite a curveball because for an Old Testament Jew, hearing what Paul is saying about marriage and about work and about buying and selling things, That would seem to fly in the face of conventional wisdom. So what is going on here? What's going on here is that God has got a plan for the redemption of the world. And it's a plan that has unfolded through successive generations. You can put up that slide there, uh, Lex, if you've got it. Um, and, And God's plan is unfolding throughout from creation to the end, when God makes all things new. And it kind of falls into four different um, categories. I'm going to need a Bible so that my notes don't blow away or something that I can just hold this down here. A phone, that'll work. So we have creation, and this is how God's plan of redemption for humanity and creation unfolds in its different stages. We've got creation as it impacts on work, work was created as something that is good and healthy and rewarding. Then we had the fall. At the fall, there was a curse. We'll read it now. That through painful toil, you'll eat food. There, something happened with work. Something changed. We'll look at it now. Then we have redemption. That's with Jesus coming. And then we see in the New Testament, and we're going to get there as well. I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I just want to paint the broad strokes We're working to glorify and reflect Christ to a lost world. And then we have glorification, which is when God makes all things new, when Jesus returns, and we have work is good and healthy and rewarding again. And uh, uh, 
this is good news, even though it may not sound like good news. We will have work in the new earth. We will work. Not a lot of hallelujahs for that. It's going to be redeemed. Work is going to be a good thing again, I promise. That's what Jesus said. Never mind what, what I promise. So maybe let's unpack that a little bit. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, you can put that up. Um, this is what happened in the garden as it relates to work. Um, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you must not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And then he goes on to say, from dust you were taken, from dust you will return. What we say at funerals when people are buried. And so we experience this as well. So for somebody that was listening to me earlier and saying, work is a good thing that God created, it's rewarding, it reflects, and you're thinking, yeah, well, that's not been my experience of my day job at all. It's been horrible, and that's why. That's why it's been horrible. Work has been cursed so that actually work has become hard. Sin was introduced into the world, and because of sin, the nature of, of work even changed, so that it's become quite painful and difficult, and by the sweat of your brow, now in technological terms, uh, in the kind of work we do, sweat doesn't always look like sweat. It looks like anxiety, stress, overtime, working yourself to death because your boss is treating you like a Trojan, and there's deadlines that are are unrealistic, um, being abused at work, CCMA, you know, uh, colleagues that are stabbing you in the back because they want to get ahead of you. These are all things that are a result of the fall. So the nature of work has changed. So some of the, all of the general principles of work are still true, but because of the introduction of sin, Work isn't the way that God intended it to be at the beginning. And so work on this side of eternity has got a very negative thing to it. Does that make sense? Then we move on to redemption, which is that after Jesus came, Jesus came to bring about redemption in the world. He came came to seek and to save the lost. And that impacts on our work and the purpose of work as well. And so now let's read a little bit about what the New Testament says about work. Let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, for Jesus. You work for Jesus, not just for your boss. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from God, hey, you'll be rewarded from God for how you work. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, um, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so when we work, your day job, your nine to five, we do it for the glory of God. We work as unto the Lord. What does that mean? It means you work with integrity. Why? Because you're doing it for the Lord. It means that we work hard. Why? Not because my boss is watching me, but because Jesus is watching me and I'm doing it as worship to him out of reverence for him. It means I'm kind. 
I'm generous, I'm gracious, I'm patient, I'm joyful, I'm peace, I'm full of peace, I'm full of faith, I'm full of courage when I work. Why? Because I'm doing it as unto the Lord, not necessarily because I enjoy it. I didn't even hear one amen for that. eh? (laughs) Wow, you guys went so quiet on me. It's not necessary. You know, we're all like, wow, she's reevaluating my whole life. Not just because I enjoy it. Work is not, I don't just, I'm not just happy at work when I'm enjoying my work. I'm happy at work because I'm doing it for Christ. Keep in mind, this was written to a slave, eh? Like, how were his, how were his work conditions? How much was he enjoying his work from nine to five? I don't know. I, 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 when I say I don't know, I literally have no idea what his... I, don't, I can't put myself in that category. I don't even know what their job conditions were like. I don't even know what their work hours were. Um, but what I do know is that instruction to the slave is the same instruction that it is for you and for me. That whatever we do... You see, the, the thinking of the world has crept into us when it comes to what we think about work. We, we think of work as something that we do which reflects who I am. It's like an extension and a reflection of who I am. And part of my identity is wrapped up in my work. And so we try and as closely as possible align our work to who I am so that my work can reflect me. So that when somebody asks me, what do you do for work? I'm kind of telling them about who I am. That's the kind of thinking that work has taken on. There's something of the world that's crept into that. Because if you're a slave... How does that reflect who you are and your identity and an extension and expression of who I am? Not at all. And so it may be that your work expresses something of who you are. That's fortunate for you. That's a blessing for you. But maybe it won't. Maybe it'll just be a job which God has given you to meet your needs and to glorify Christ in a way that only you will be able to do in that particular environment. And maybe he'll ask you to be faithful at that as unto the Lord. This is countercultural, I know, but most of Scripture is. So that's just the way it is. So there's two pitfalls to avoid here. One is to avoid working to please and get the recognition of people because we're not doing it for the recognition and for pleasing people, not even my boss. He will be pleased because I'm doing it unto the Lord and that will make him very, very chuffed. But I'm not specifically doing it to please him or to get validation or affirmation from him or my colleagues or my performance appraisal at the end of the year. I'm doing it to please God. That should be liberating for you and for me. Because whether I'm in the dog box or whether people are singing my praises, I'm, not, I'm doing it for Jesus, to be faithful to him. Because my reward is ultimately from him. And the second pitfall to avoid is to do work to please yourself. It's not primarily for your self-gratification. It's to honor God. And there will be times when it will be joyful and pleasing to you and rewarding. And other times when it will just be for Jesus. And I'm faithful regardless in the work that I do. And those are two pitfalls that we have to avoid. And so God has called us to glorify himself in the workplace. And think about it, there are actually so many opportunities which we have to reflect to our colleagues something radically different. Radically, radically different. We have the 
opportunity to challenge people's thinking about Christ and about Christians by the way that we work, by the way that we treat our boss, by the way that we treat our colleagues. And so we should be people of faith. What does that mean? It means regardless of the the economic climate, regardless of your work climate, our attitude shouldn't only reflect the context that I'm in. It should reflect the Jesus that I worship, the Jesus that I'm praying to. That will make you different to the people that you're working with. It must make you different. And so we are not people who are only content and full of courage and faith when everything's going well in our workplace. That, is, that, is, uh, that makes us a slave to our circumstance. We reflect something different. And, and here's something that's very profound in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. What does this say about us at work? when you think of this verse in the context of work. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The hope that you have. What a precious commodity hope is in the context that we're working in right now. What a precious commodity hope is. We have hope. We are people of hope in the workplace. We are people of hope. We are people who are not always downcast because of the circumstances, because we're looking at something different to what our colleagues are looking at. Amen? Amen. Jesus has called us to be a reflection of himself and a witness of Christ in the marketplace. And this scripture reflects that. Give a reason for the hope that you have. That's our witness. Many of the people that are here right now are here because a colleague reflected Christ to them. Jesus has got a witness in the world to himself through you. Imagine if we were all full-time in the ministry, how much of a witness would Christ have in the world of himself? Virtually none. And so you are a billboard reflecting Christ. In your workplace. Not just by preaching the gospel. Hopefully that is well when you get opportunity. But by who you are. What you reflect of the nature of Christ. The hope that you have. In a world which is very very tied to their circumstances. I remember. um, When I was working as a school teacher. The staff room was. uh, Teachers dread staff. staff, I mean. I mean. What did I just say? Staff, staff rooms, because that's where a lot of the backstabbing happens. But I would often be there anyway because of what I've just said now about you know rubbing shoulders with people and getting to know people and sharing lives, our lives together. You go through the travails and the triumphs of life together. But I remember there was this one woman. Um, she was a very faithful church attendant. She had been going to church for 40 years, 4-0. She, had, she was in the choir, very involved in her church. Her name was Tolelwa. And we'd have these long chats. And the one day, I always used to tease her, you know, the nature of who I am and just kind of how I love people. But um, I asked her the one day, Tolelwa, can I give you a test, a spiritual test? You know I'm a pastor in my spare time. And she said, okay, Luke, you can give me a test. So I, just, I said, 
Just one question. What does a person have to do to make sure they go to heaven? Because you've been in the church for 40 years and you've heard lots of teaching and you're in the choir and all of these things. And she said, she thought like long and hard and she said, Yo, Luke, that's a difficult question. And I was, I was puzzled because obviously like that's the most basic question, right? Like that's why we are Christians in the first place is to go to heaven, right? And she said, I, I'm not sure. Been in church for 40 years. She wasn't sure what she needed to do to make sure she would go to heaven. So I said, Kailelwa, I've got bad news and I've got good news. Bad news is you failed the test. The good news is that Bible studies are starting on Monday in break time in my classroom. And you and myself are going to crack a Bible open together. And we're going to find out what is it that you need to do to make sure that one day you are going to go to heaven. She said, okay, look, we'll start on Monday. And we did. We did. Every Monday we'd open the Bible together and make sure Kolewa made sure of her salvation and her eternal security in Christ. But as a school teacher, I was at a boys' primary school. I was with these boys all day from whatever time school starts until the end of the day. Ten-year-old boys. If anyone wants to know the psychology of a ten-year-old boy, just come chat with me afterwards. I would know how they think so well. I could sometimes answer their questions even before they, answer, they ask them. Anyway, I would have many opportunities to talk about God, to talk about life, to talk about masculinity in the light of who God is, our responsibility towards women, what God has called us to be in our families, in the marketplace, in the world. That was my day job. That was my day job. And those boys changed from night to day, uh, literally from throwing rocks at the girls at the girls' school, which is just next door, that's what they used to do, to protecting them, fighting for them, opening doors for them, um, writing poems to them, uh, giving them roses and chocolate. I'm talking like, that was my day job. That was, that was just me being faithful to what God had called me to do in my day job. And so we are called to be a witness and a reflection of Christ in whatever you do, in whatever you do. God is also, let's just put it up, Ephesians 4 verse 28 with regards to work. He, has been, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. I felt that specifically for Simon. But must work. Doing something useful with his own hands. That's a message to a, a church, eh? Our, you, we're actually an amazing congregation compared to this Ephesian bunch. Imagine on a Sunday morning saying, guys, please, those of you who are thieves, can we please, can we please stop doing that? God has called us to work with our hands. Stop stealing other people's things, okay? We're Christians. Amen. Thank you. Hey, listen, if that does apply to someone, let me not take away anything from what I've just said. Please, stop stealing. Do something useful with his own hands. Why? That he may have something to share with those who are in need. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to provide for my needs and the needs of my family through my work. Yes, the Lord is my provider, but he provides most of the time through work through working hard, but he doesn't just want to provide for my needs. He wants me to have something to share with others who are in need. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to use my work as an avenue 
of resource to help others. And isn't it a privilege to have to resource to help others? It's a blessing. It really is good, better to give than to receive. To bless others, to um, help those within the church, maybe even outside the church, to help with even financing the kingdom, advancing through the church, lots of different kinds of giving that we do with our money. I want to just make a few practical uh, applications. Now, one of the very common questions which I've heard Christians wrestling with and sometimes even spoken through with me, what is the relationship between my work and my calling or my ministry? Can work be my ministry? Is secular work also kingdom building? These are questions I've heard Christians wrestle with. I would answer that question from the scriptures by saying, it depends what you mean by ministry. It depends on what you mean by ministry. If you're asking, can it be my ministry? If you mean by that, that you are called through your work to, as I already said, glorify God, be a witness to others, to, to through finances, share with others, then yes, it is definitely a part of your ministry. It is definitely something that's a part of your calling. If you mean by work being my ministry, you mean that work is my spiritual calling and I'm understanding it in the same category as other spiritual giftings like prophecy, evangelism, pastoral, um, all the others. Then I would say you are putting two things in the place of one. One thing in the place of two. We've got two hats as Christians. We have got our calling to be a witness and glorify Christ in the marketplace, in our day job. And we are called to be priests in the house of God. We're a kingdom of priests. And priests in the house of God are given spiritual giftings with which to edify the saints and to build up the church. We are called to both. And we can't have one instead of both. We do have two hats that we are wearing. Let me just put up uh, that scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. And so the purpose of gifts, spiritual gifts, is for building up the church, building up the saints, encouraging, strengthening the saints and so we are called to both. We are called to both. So I want to just now for the students among us and maybe those who are starting out in your career, make a few th- I want to make, share a few things with you that I wish somebody had shared with me when I was starting out on my career. Yeah, it's weird to call teaching a career, but it is. It's not a, it's not a very tall corporate ladder to climb there, but uh, it is a career. I would say it is a wonderful thing to have a job which helps people, which, is, which contributes in a meaningful way to society. It won't always be the case that you'll have a job like that. But if you can, it's an amazing blessing to be able to, through your job, bless and help um, and contribute to the needs of society through your job. I would also say when you're choosing a career, consider carefully how that will impact on the rest of your life. Many jobs today, especially in Cape Town, assume that you are so passionate about your job that it's going to be your job, your hobby, 
your recreational free time. It's going to be your day and your night and your week and your weekend because you just love it so much. And if you're not willing to do that, then don't even apply. That is the culture of work that we are living in right now. And I want to say that's going to be a problem if you're a Christian. Work is not all there is to my life, especially if I have a family, especially if I want to serve in the church. If it's going to consume my whole life, it's going to be a problem. People in the workplace are trying to find their validation and their meaning for living from what they do. That is not who we are. That is not who we are. And so, choose wisely if you still have the ability to choose about what career you want to pursue and how that will impact on your whole life. Weighing up what you feel called to in God in every sphere of your life. Does that make sense? It's a very practical thing, but geez, it can really solve you a lot of uh, pain down the line. I want to also say, if you're already in the marketplace, if you already have a job and you're pursuing that thing, be careful of allowing worldly conceptions of work to influence your perception of work. That's partly why I'm doing what I'm doing this morning, that we can be renewed in our minds about how we think about work and the place that work has in my life. You can have too low a view of work. In other words, like it has no purpose in my calling at all. Or you can have too high a view of work where it actually becomes an idol in your life. And you begin to look for validation and respect from work that God didn't call it to. Climbing the corporate ladder and going after the next rung and trying to go higher and higher and higher up the corporate ladder in, in an attempt to validate my existence here on, on earth. That is not what we are called to as Christians. And so I want to say, even this morning, allow God to examine your heart. If it has become an idol, you'll have to offer that up to God again. So I want to close now by asking a few questions. And maybe you can close your eyes while I ask these questions and you can ask the Lord to just minister to your own heart while we respond to the Lord. Because obviously every time we read the Word of God, it's for the purpose of response. Eh? The first question is, have you allowed worldly thinking to influence your thinking about work? Are you living simp working simply to get rich or to climb up the corporate ladder? If that is you, I want to just ask you right now, just, just say to, Lord, to, to, to God, Lord, I'm offering this up to you again. Forgive me if I've made an idol out of this, God. Made it something which you didn't intend it to, Lord. My, my validation, my worth comes from you and only you, Jesus. Whether I'm the least uh, well-paid or important employee in my company or not, I'm your son. And I don't have anything to prove to the world or to anyone You've already affirmed me in who I am in you, Lord Jesus. The second question is maybe a little bit harder. Do you work as if it were unto Christ? If, if you do work as if you are working unto Christ, how much does grumbling and complaining happen in your life at work? Because if it's unto Christ, we do it with joy. 
We do it with contentment. And that's regardless of the circumstances. And so if there has been a pattern of grumbling and complaining and moaning and not actually working unto Christ, I want to ask you, would you just make right with, Lord, with Jesus and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for actually just being like everyone around me and moaning and complaining. Lord Jesus, help me to reflect you well, to work as unto you, Lord Jesus. The third question Are you being a light to your colleagues? Are you praying for them? Are you looking for opportunities to reflect Christ to them, to share the gospel with them? Lord Jesus, may we be a people that pray for those who we work with, Lord. God, that you would use us as a light to seek and to save each and every precious person, Lord. We may be the only gospel that they ever read. May we reflect you, Lord Jesus, and where we have not, where we've been thinking maybe only of ourselves, we repent, Lord. Would you make us a light again? And lastly, have you neglected your spiritual calling within the church because work has just become an all-consuming passion? If that is you, I want to ask you to repent as well. The Lord has called you to be a light at the workplace, but also a priest in his house to, to minister and to serve his people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand. Let's stand together. Just as a sign of offering your job and your work to the Lord, just let's just open our hands and give it back to God. Lord Jesus, would you sanctify everything that we do? May we do it for you, Lord Jesus. Our jobs, we give them back to you, God, and say, use my work for your glory. Glorify yourself. Make the name of Jesus great. Lord, we know that we fail. It's, it's almost inevitable that we do, but yet you still will use us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We are such cracked pots, Lord. You say it's through jars of clay that you reveal your glory. And we are jars of clay. God, we acknowledge that we have failed, that we do fail, and we probably will continue to fail. But we ask for your grace. We ask for your grace. May we glorify your name, Lord Jesus. May we glorify your name, Lord Jesus. We ask in our places of work, would you come? Would you let your glory fall at our places of work? Lord Jesus, may revival break out amongst our colleagues, with our bosses, with our clients, with our customers. Let your glory come. God, would you give us opportunities to share the gospel with those who don't know you in unique and surprising ways? Would you give us words of knowledge, Lord? Would you put people on our hearts to pray for and to minister to, Lord Jesus? God, this is most of our lives, Lord. Use it for your glory, God. Use it for your glory, Lord Jesus. May we be billboards which have the face of Jesus 